Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. All right, guys, welcome back to Agent Investor. Agent Investor is the brand that helps real estate agents get off the real estate roller coaster through investing in real estate. Guys, if you're an agent, if you're listening, 10 years ago, I was just like you. I was living commission to commission, always worried about when my next commission was going to come in, always worried whether or not I was going to have to go back and get a regular W-2 job. Um, it wasn't until I started investing in real estate that I got off that real estate roller coaster. It wasn't until I started investing in real estate that all of my worries and all of my fears that I was going to have to give up my dream of being a real estate agent came to an end. And since I started investing in real estate, mm -hmm. I've done over 1,200 fix and flips. I've built an over 300-unit rental property portfolio. I'm in the process of building a couple hundred apartment units. And I've also built a 350-person real estate brokerage that focuses on helping agents achieve financial freedom through investing in real estate. And I actually did a post this morning related to the fact that there are so many newer agents and even some experienced agents who, unfortunately, as the market has started to cool, are starting to worry now, do I have to get out of real estate? And I've been seeing a lot of experienced and successful agents say things like, hey, well, there were already too many agents in the market. We need there to be some agents to leave, which... That just wouldn't be the case if all of these people had three, four, five, six, seven thousand dollars of passive income coming in. I've got a really great guest today. We always talk on the show and on in Facebook and all of the mediums that I talk about that if you want to invest in real estate, you have to get good at three things. Number one, you have to get good at finding deals. Number two, you have to get good at finding and leveraging money. And number three, you have to find people to do the work on the houses and manage the properties that you own. Now, Paul is going to be talking about number two, finding money, leveraging money, and he's going to be answering questions, the questions that you guys always ask me, because Paul's one of our very best lenders, um, and he's going to be answering questions like, can you actually do deals with a lender with no money down? He's going to be answering questions like, how do you know what type of lender you should be working with, whether it's hard money or a commercial lender? How do you actually find these lenders? Paul's going to talk about when he actually meets with investors, how he makes a determination on who he should be working with. Because keep in mind, guys, you're asking a bank, you're asking a lender, you're asking a private individual to trust you with money, right? So you've got to be prepared to meet with them. He's going to tell you what he's going to look for. And lastly, he's also going to talk probably um, at least briefly on how being related to me through marriage has propelled his real estate career, period, uh, which we found out after working together. Um, so, Paul, let's just jump right into it. How did you get involved on the money side of real estate investing to begin with? Um, so I I was born and raised in Malden, Massachusetts, and um, just four miles north of Boston for those who are out of state. 
And I went to school here locally after I got out of college, which went to a small private school in, in, in Newton, Massachusetts. I got into the financial world and um, I was in the financial services industry. So I worked for a, a bank at first, transitioned to a broker dealer. That broker dealer had an office in San Diego. Um, in 2014, I relocated to San Diego and shortly thereafter, I, I, I met someone um, met someone who was in the private lending industry and I, I made the transition from financial services uh, to private lending. I was always licensed in real estate as a real licensed salesperson since I was 18 years old and in Massachusetts and I had just gotten my California real estate license at the time. And at, at the time, that company didn't have what's called a CFL license, which is California Finance Lenders License. It's essentially like an all-encompassing license where you can hire from any industry and, and you're covered under, under that license. Because they didn't have it at the time, I needed a real estate license in California. So I got that, entered the business, and I was with a startup at first. And um, that was kind of my my crack into the business. It was met him through, through networking. Um, and he was starting the business at the time. What year was that? That was 2016. Okay. So who were you specifically looking to put money out on the streets for? Like who, what type of clients were you working with? And if they were a startup, like what was kind of their objective? The objective was to really grow and be a dominant private lender in the space and and do quality loans with borrowers who um even if they didn't quite have experience they had the right team in place in order to execute on the project and um the the borrowers that we were targeting were really i mean at the time our our box was a lot looser than things might be today um so we would work with newer investors we'd work with experienced investors kind of a wide range um, and our typical asset types were anywhere between, you know, whether it's a condo, townhome, or a single family to a four-unit building. That's kind of my, that was kind of my focus initially when I got into the space. Now, I, I focus on a wider range of, of asset types, but that was it uh, back then. So small residential, and were you lending just in one state? Like what you threw out, you were in California, the mass, like I'm getting confused a little bit. So where were you? geographically and who like where were you what states were you lending in i was geographically living in san diego yeah and i was lending in you know southern california all the way up to san francisco i lent in colorado south florida um texas massachusetts new hampshire i was kind of pocketed all over the mark you know kind of all over the map um you'd, you'd see a dozen pin drops all across the the united states map and then in 2019, I relocated back to Boston um, mm -hmm. and opened up an office for that firm. Um, COVID hit shortly thereafter. You know, I mean, you probably know the story after that. And I made the transition to Renovo um, shortly after that happened. So when you were working with like the startup, I'd be curious to hear kind of the conversations that you're having with your team, because they're obviously you're out there trying to build relationships, right? So for some people that are listening that either have worked with lenders or maybe haven't worked with lenders yet, like you're giving some instruction, like these are the type of people that we want. And what does that exactly kind of look like? What are those conversations like behind closed doors? Um, 
in terms of, I guess, are you asking in terms of the underwrite when we get a new new relationship going and and we discuss the client and the deal? Or yeah, exactly. Like more like the client. So you sure. obviously the objective wasn't, hey, walk around on on Broadway and just find the first three people that you know you meet. Like what what are the factors that you're kind of looking at when you're looking to target like people who invest in real estate? I mean, number one that I number one thing I always look for is character. So um, I'd want somebody who has good, good business ethics, good morals, good values, someone who believes in, you know, their vision and they're, they're looking to accomplish a specific thing, uh, whether it's, you know, you hear things as wide as, you know, you want someone's looking to build a 1500 rent unit rental portfolio, or someone just wants to do a few projects passively throughout the year. So you're kind of hearing quite a bit from investors, but our target client is somebody who's you know, looking to build a, a real true business in real estate because we want to be their relationship and their financial, their lending relationship and their financial backer throughout the course of their career. And we want to help them scale their businesses to a level where, you know, maybe at some point they don't even need us anymore. Yeah. The first takeaway I had there is just like, you know, focusing on people who have a vision, have a plan. And we're actually going to be doing a five week, um, business planning clinic for real estate investors the beginning of January. And it's like, you got to have clarity on where you're going. If you don't, you show up to a lender and you're like, I just kind of want to make money. You know, it's like, you know, probably not exactly what you want to hear. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that's a huge value add for people that you're working with. I mean, I totally, I mean, I've had many of those conversations and I'm, if I leave a meeting confused, it's probably not a great thing. Um, yeah. you know, but yeah, you want someone who has, who has a vision, who has clarity and what they want to accomplish. And look, th those things are going to change over time and your business is going to evolve. Like if you look at Amazon, how Amazon started, they're no longer a bookstore, right? They're yeah. everything. And, and just like, I'm sure maybe when you got in the business, I'm not entirely sure what your initial plan was, but you know, maybe it was flipping X amount of homes per year, but you had that, you probably had that vision initially where it's like, okay, I'm using this flipping as cash flow in order to fund my rental deals in the future. And I want to build X number of unit rental portfolio. And, and those are the types of things that we want to hear as lenders. And we want to ensure that there's a plan because without a plan, we can't really support your vision or your plan. And how do we support a business without any sort of idea of where it's going? So you were with the company in San Diego, you came back to mass. Um, how was that company and the, the, the new company, Renovo, like how did you guys feel about like, you know, there's multiple ways that people can get money, right? Like people can go, they can go to like Joe Hard Money, who probably was like a real estate investor in the past is going to probably be the most expensive person on the block, but probably pretty easy to get lending from. Then you can go to like a commercial lender, like a small community bank, and it's going to be a lot more restrictive. They're not going to be quite as flexible. Like when, when you work for the startup company and now for Renovo, how do you guys feel like you positioned your type of lending and, and who is it for? Great question. Um, so you touched on really two of the three lenders in the space. And the third, what I what I would consider, you know, that startup and also Renovo were kind of quasi hard money, kind of a, a middle ground between the local bank and uh, your old school hard money shop, whether like you mentioned, a small debt fund or somebody who's high net worth individual lending their cash out. So um it's 
uh, I mean, over time, the the industry has evolved and got a lot more sophisticated because you know you had um, you previously had the old school debt fund, and then these these big hedge funds on Wall Street got you know uh, wind of high risk adjusted returns that you get through private lending. They entered the space and they created a, a you know a set of guidelines that's now kind of widespread throughout our industry for any institutionally backed lender. So that's kind of how the industry evolved. But um, in terms of I'm sorry, the question, what was the exact question? I apologize. Well, I guess like, how do you guys, you know, position yourselves? Like, I mean, you kind of answered it by saying you're like quasi hard money, but, you know, hard money, you're going, like I said, to, you know, typically like people that are in your market, they're going to be the highest rates. They're probably going to be the easiest to work with. How do you, when you say quasi hard money, like why should somebody go to a lender like Renovo as an example? over hard money or potentially even over like going to like a local credit union? Yeah, I mean, so as I was kind of mentioning as far as how we, how the, how you describe a Renovo or the previous startup or any institutionally backed kind of private lending firm, you are kind of that middle ground between the local bank and the old school debt fund or private lender. You know, like you mentioned, the banks are somewhat restrictive. They generally require a higher down payment. They're a little bit, they operate a little bit slower in terms of closing timelines. Um, you know, the the private debt fund, very expensive, usually solely asset driven over credit or any sort of financials. Um, and they just want to be comfortable lending at a specific basis in, in the event a worst case scenario happens and they'll, you know, they'll lend at a, a pretty expensive rate. The reason why their rates are so high is because they generally lend out either their own cash or they raise money from family and friends. And there's typically a, a spread on top of that money that they, that they, that they actually have as a return. And there's obviously with those guys, it's a little bit more flexible in terms of the types of lending that they can do because they can control their own destiny in a way. Now the quasi hard money places like a Renovo or, you know, there's dozens of us out there um, that I would consider in the same similar bucket. Um, we operate like a some somewhat like a local bank. Our underwrite is a heck of a lot easier than than a local bank, where we have a simple application, front and back copy of photo ID, typical docs you'd normally provide to a to a bank, but a little bit less. And then the underwrite is a lot faster because we are asset driven. We are like a debt fund. We want to look at the asset and ensure that we're comfortable lending on that at a specific basis. We generally take higher risk than a bank. But we're looking at the asset and we also want to look at the actual individual themselves to ensure that they, they're going to be able to execute. And in terms of the differentiator, it's really like we operate like a local private lender in terms of speed, flexibility and the ability to just get deals done and have certainty that it's going to get funded. Um, but, you know, we're we're cheaper than that local debt lender. So that's kind of where I position us as, as a lender in the market. So where does somebody have to be in their real estate investing career to work with a company like yours? Like, can, can it be somebody's first deal or do they have to have some sort of seasoning in order to be able to work with a company like yours? I'll, that's a great question. I mean, I'll say we have worked with newer investors in the past. There's always got to be kind of some compensating factors, like maybe it's a general contractor who's been in the space a long time and they've they have a, you know, decent financials, good credit, decent financials. That's probably someone we want to work with. 
if it's somebody who was in a corporate job maybe for 20 years and they just want to just so happen now want to get into you know the real estate investment world but don't quite have their team lined up mm -hmm. that's more of a deeper conversation um it, it's not necessarily a, a quick yes it's all you know common sense decisions and also we're trying to ensure that we're mitigating our risk because like you mentioned at the beginning of this the podcast like we're trusting people with money and, yeah. and sure like if we if we lend on an asset that's what most people come to me and say hey but but you're lending on the asset why do you care about me some people say that and at the end of the day we're not we're not a rehabber we're not a flipper we don't know how to flip a house right we're we're just not that company we we're good at lending money and ensuring that we're backing people so that they can support their business and you know let's say someone gets into a deal they got the property now it's significantly devalued depending on the initial condition of that home and if if they stop making their payments and they flee to um i don't know south america or something right now we're stuck with an asset that's fully gutted what are we going to do with that sure we have a pool of buyers that could buy that but at what price and is our is our investment at risk at that level very likely you know an ideal an ideal client is somebody who is either experienced themselves or they're partnering with an experienced individual or a team in order to do their first deal yeah, we we talked about that really briefly um, before you jumped on about the partnering thing, and that's another thing for you know those people who are in the inner circle. We partner with people in the inner circle. We have lending relationships like this, and so for those of you who have not yet signed up to talk to me and learn more about joining the inner circle, you can do that any daytime you want by going to www.agentinvestorinnercircle.com. There's a lot of benefits of being in the inner circle, but one is to partner with us. And if you're JVing with us, we're going to have access to all of the best lenders because of our track record. One thing I'll say just about lending in general is like, I'm, I'm thinking back to when we first started. Most of our first deals that we did, we were going like hard, hard money. And like Paul kind of said in the beginning, it was like, you can get people to be more flexible if you pay them more money, right? So there's a lot of hard money lenders out there. Um, I even know hard money lenders out there who are ex-flippers that they hope you fail on the project because they're really, literally, they're a little different than Paul and his team. Paul and his team don't want to take back a house, but there are people out there that like, hey, if you get me the asset at a good enough price and you fail, I might make more money. Um, so there are people out there that are willing to be a little bit more flexible, but probably not with the best rates. And for a company like ours, like we don't need to work with those people anymore because we've kind of graduated. But I look at lending a little bit like you're always looking to kind of graduate, you know, from one thing to another. And um, partnering with people can definitely be a way to get there. Now, another question, Paul, people always ask me, um, I get this question at least once a week. Do you know any lenders that will do zero money down? What would you kind of say? Like, what, what's your thought process when somebody asks a question like that? And what advice would you give to somebody who might be in that sort of position? Um, I guess it depends on who the question is coming from. You know, you have, you have if it's a, a newer investor in that position and, and it's because they don't want to put their own cash in the deal. 
Mm-hmm. Um, my answer might be a little different. You have to take some level of risk and you're on yourself, right? And you need to ensure that you 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 put you put some what's called skin in the game. Um, now that said, though, if if it's somebody who genuinely does not have the, the the means to be able to invest in a deal right now, but they have the team lined up, they have um, a, a lot of other positives. Um, there are a couple different ways in which you can go about doing that. One is what we're talking about now, where you, you maybe you find the deal. Let's say you locate the deal, but you don't have the funds for the deal. Okay. You come to a, a Renovo-like lender, let us know that, but maybe you have a, a partner who is who has the financial backing to be able to back that deal. Um, maybe it's a situation where you know you have a free and clear rental property that is cash flowing and you don't mind cross what's called cross collateralizing that asset and putting it up as additional collateral so that you don't have to put money in the deal. That's another option. Um, you know, this is entirely different, but this, this, this has happened and it isn't necessarily, you wouldn't necessarily go to a lender for this, but you could treat the seller as your lender where you, you negotiate what's called the seller carry back. Um, I've seen some of that recently where, you know, I got a call on a deal in Milton where this is yesterday um, somebody was getting a, a single family in Milton for 385,000 and the, which is a pretty darn good deal. Yeah. And the, um, the seller said, Hey, look, I'm not going to sell it to you for 385, but I'll sell it to you for 430,000, which is still a good price. It's still under market value for that house. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I want, I, I want to hold back the note and you just pay me this, this sum once I sell the asset. Right. So that that's an option as well. Um, obviously those are fewer and far in between than if you were to just simply partner with somebody like a Tom, like a bill, uh, who has the experience and the means to be able to get a deal done and, and ensure that you get your track record to a place where now you can go off and and build those right relationships with the right financial partners. I think, you know, we're in a weird time in the, in the financial world right now, where you might find small pockets of capital that could be cheaper. Um, but th- that goes into a lot more complex, uh, complex discussion. But I would say the answer is no. I don't think you're going to get a huge lift by shopping around to of like 10 or 12 different private lenders in our space, because at the end of the day, we're all structured pretty similarly. And yeah. we all leverage a lot of times we all leverage similar capital. And they, and by the way, all that capital that's leveraged in our market, they all talk to each other and they all know what each other's doing. So, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think there's going to be a massive difference in price. Now, depends on the type of lender, right? So if we're talking about one of, you know, each of those three different lenders we've touched on, like local banks, private lenders, and and, and the private debt funds, the old school hard money guys, yeah, you're going to find uh, substantial price differences there. But if you're looking in that, in, in the quasi hard money space, I'd call it, or the private lending space, um, no, you're not going to find a huge lift, I don't believe, on on price. Now, the biggest thing in in my personal opinion, based on how long I've been in the business, um, that investors should look for is is really structure. And the guy that's in the seat, the guy or girl who's in that seat as your originator, really adds should add tremendous value to your business. Whether it's through convenience, whether it's through you know analyzing deals alongside you to ensure that you know the deal should be done. Because, you know, and those are discussions that need to happen, especially in today's world where there's a little bit of uncertainty. Um, but, you know, the, my quick answer is, is no, I don't think you'll find a huge lift on price if you shop around. 
Hey everyone, this is Tom Caffarella. I want to quickly interrupt the podcast to number one, thank all of my loyal listeners of the Asian Investor Podcast and tell you guys really quickly about an exciting event we have coming up. Uh, it's a two-day event. It's called the Passive Income Real Estate Investor Event um, that you can find out more details at PassiveIncomeEvent.com. We're going to be doing a two-day training session teaching all of the agents and all of the investors at the event on how to achieve financial freedom through real estate. If you're like me and your goal is to not work 80, 100 hours a week grinding, selling real estate, flipping homes, um, definitely check out this event. We're going to teach you how to build a passive income portfolio so that you can retire, so that you can work when you want, how you want, and ultimately achieve financial freedom. So again, go to PassiveIncomeEvent.com for more details. And we look forward to seeing you at the upcoming event. So with that being said, you know, we have people that they want to do, you know, fix and flip deals and they want to do buy and hold deals. What, what kind of like rates and terms and stuff like that can people expect? I know rates and terms can change, you know, at a moment's notice, but like, obviously everybody that comes in and I meet with, it's like, how do I make you know as much money as possible, get the best deal possible, leverage capital possible. Um, first start with like fix and flips, like what are like typical rates and terms that you would see in like all three buckets? And then we'll talk about more long-term stuff. Are we, when we say all three buckets, are we talking about the three kind of Typical. Yeah, like like a small like um you know a community bank versus like your type of company versus like a hard money lender. Like, what are the differences between the three? Sure. So on the on the purchase and rehab or fix and flip loan side of the business, um, let's start with community banks. A lot of times, what you're seeing is 80 on acquisition. You know, LTV, right? Yeah, of of the purchase price. Um, 100% of the construction costs, and it's not to exceed 70 or 75% of the after repair value. Some banks are more conservative, and they might go 70% of acquisition, not to exceed 65% of the after repair value. It just depends on, on who you're working with. Because there's, I mean, in Massachusetts, there's hundreds of local community banks. Um, mm -hmm. And there's, you know, the rates in local community banks, many times, depending on the, on the bank, are usually tied to some form of benchmark it's typically it's typically prime and and they mark prime up by either one percent or one and a half is generally what i see um i have seen banks right now charge an actual origination fee which nine months ago i couldn't say that i've seen much of that i think there was enough margin in their in their loans in order for them to not have to charge an origination fee um depending on the relationship of course but I have seen them charge 1% recently after seeing some term sheets. Um, now, um, if we move over to kind of the quasi private lending like bucket, um, we're, you know, anywhere between 80 and for the right relationship up to 90% on the acquisition, 100% of construction costs, not to exceed 70% of the after repair value in today's world. There's some flexibility there where it could go as high as 75, depending on, again, the relationship. And rates in our world right now 
kind of floating between like 10 and 11 and a half to 12, somewhere in that range. Yeah. Uh, in the origination fee, you know, call it one to 2% range. Mm-hmm. And as far as your old school hard money lender, you know, they used to be, I don't know. I mean, back in the day, you probably experienced it yourself where they're like 15 to 18% and four points or something like that. But right now they're probably, you know, 12 to 14 and two to three points is typically what I'm seeing. Now you might have a, a you know, random individuals who are willing to lend you cash, you'd put them in that bucket at, at you know, a, a reasonable rate. There might be someone out there that's doing nine and two. I don't know, but that money is finite. And that's the the other thing to think about when choosing the, the right lender is you want to, if you're looking to really truly scale your business, um, you can do that with your private guy, but you probably need a second option or multiple, a multitude of options, especially in today's world where people are kind of pulling back here and there. Like you're seeing yeah. some of these private guys not wanting to lend on this stuff right now. So it, yeah. it's, that's just another thing that, you know, talking back to the beginning of, you know, when I introed you, there's three things that everybody needs to get good at. They need to get good at finding deals. They need to get good at finding, finding capital, raising capital, leveraging capital, and then, you know, the construction or, or management part of it. But all of these elements, right. As we're kind of, kind of like, you know, peeling back the onion a little bit, it's like, it never ends with how much you could kind of learn about each bucket. And to me, it's like, if you're a good investor you need to understand all of these different ways to utilize your money because one day Paul solution might be the best. The next, it might be a community bank. The next, it might be a hard money person. And like Paul kind of, you know, said to echo what he said, it's like the small hard money lender could be your best option one day. And then they could be like, Oh, you know, I don't really like how the next year is probably going to pan out. So I'm just going to pull all my money out and lenders can kind of can come and go but you need to be the one that's all educating on all this stuff. And if you guys are are listening to this and you're not in our Facebook group yet, make sure that you're in our free Facebook group at www.agentinvestor.com. Our free Facebook group is where we give, you know, plenty of knowledge pretty much every single day. It's all free free to be in. It's free to join. Again, www.agentinvestor.com. So yeah, we talked about the fix and flip side a little bit. What about people that are coming to you and they're like, yeah, like I want to get to a thousand units. How are they using your product to help get them to where they want to be on the rental side? That's a, a an excellent question. Um, so you said every question so far is good. I, I'm finding it. I'm finding this isn't because we're related, is it? It, it actually is, man. I have to be biased there. So, <laughs> so um, me and Paul are are. I call him cousin Paul now because I found out probably maybe like two years ago that um, my brother-in-law, how are you related to my brother-in-law? Um, he's a cousin-in-law. So, okay. so my, my, he's my wife's cousin. All right. So very distantly related. Um, me and Paul were actually both um, tried to be models when we were um, under the age of 25. <laughs> so we have a lot in common here, but I, I digress. So continue on about the rental stuff. Yeah, sure thing. So, um, God, that text message you sent me today is hilarious, but about the modeling stuff, but, um, no, the, um, on the rental side, you know, it really depends on who we're 
you know, what the investor strategy is. So like there's some investors out there that want to buy turnkey rental product. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're buying a, a turnkey rental product, meaning the, the asset was already rehabbed or maybe it, it has, wasn't rehabbed, but it's been well-maintained and it's habitable right now. And you can charge market rents for that building or those units. Um, if somebody were to come to us with a turnkey rental loan, um, what would happen is we would analyze the deal based on debt service. So there's something out there in the last four years has been um, a new product out in the world. It's called debt service coverage ratio loans. So DSCR mm-hmm. loans for short. And what lenders generally look for, it's not so much income driven. It's not on, based on your W-2 job. It, it's not It's not based on you know, a whole lot of a multitude of other factors that banks generally look at when when choosing to lend on a rental asset. Um, it's solely based on the cash flow of the building and credit plays a role, but uh, in, in pricing mainly. Um, but someone would come to us and say, hey, I have this rental deal on a contract or I'm looking at it. Can you help me analyze the deal? So they tell us all the details related to the loan. Typically, what we like to see is, you know, the address of the asset, obviously, the per- what your projected offer price is or what you have it on our contract for. If it's currently vacant, um, we're looking at market rents in the area. And we generally, and this holds true for most of the market, if there's vacant units in a single family to four family building, you'd underwrite to 90% of market rent. So you take a he- 10% haircut in the event there are vacancies. So um, other than that, you look at the taxes and insurance of the asset. So and you can basically come up with your debt service coverage ratio based on that and the, the cost of the, the money. Um, and these loans are written at 75 to 80% on the acquisition. And um, rates right now in our space in general are kind of floating in the sevens and they're touching low eights. You see some people as high as high eights right now. Uh, there's kind of a wide range of, of rate right now in the industry. It's very, whereas nine months ago, the market was very stagnant and we all had certainty that rates were staying where they were at. Obviously there was talks of the Fed hiking, but when this Fed started hiking rates, now there's there's a lot of volatility. So things are really changing daily. So anybody who comes to us with a rental loan right now, we really wanna stress test that deal, especially if you don't have it under contract yet. And you wanna ensure that it's working at a higher interest rate because let's just pretend um, you know, it takes you 45 days to lock that deal up under contract because you're in negotiations with the seller. Well, your, your underwrite might look entirely different 45 days down the road, depending upon what the Fed does in the next 45 days. So those are things to kind of think about in today's world. And you want to ensure that you're stress testing your deals and, and, and that it's working at a higher interest rate in the event it takes a while for you to start that process. But yeah, it's funny because I think a lot of people, they look at lenders as almost sometimes like the bad guy. And it's interesting because especially on a rental property, you're really partnered with that lender because they're going to kill deals that don't make sense. Because if they're not going to make sense, the lender is going to lose money and the person's going to lose money. So it doesn't make sense for either party. And we've we've run a couple by you in the past couple months that we're like, oh, like maybe this will will meet the requirements and it doesn't. And, you know, like I can think of one particular deal that I was like, just hoping, you know, and it, and it didn't, and it, and it wouldn't have made sense, but it's like, you know, lenders are there not just to, you know, protect themselves, but they're also there to protect you as well. Um, so based on what you just told me, like, why would somebody go to your company as an example, again, thinking about how people utilize these different 
source of debt. Why would somebody go to your company with a DSCR loan versus uh, you know, a local community bank that, I don't know, maybe they have lower rates right now? I'm actually not even sure. They probably have slightly lower rates. Like, What would the benefit be that for that? Yeah, bank rates are probably in the mid sixes right now. We're about 1% higher, maybe mm-hmm. one and a half, depending on the bank. But someone would really come to us for DSCR loans if for any reason, you know, let's just say they're an agent and they can't show that they have, let's be honest, like agents are going to write off what they can in order to drive their taxable basis down, right? And if you're if you're not reporting the amount of income you need to report in order to qualify for these these loans with a com- community bank, that you know that could hinder you from getting a bank loan. And therefore, we would do those debt service coverage ratio loans with those investors who are looking to acquire these rental properties. Now, another situation might be: let's say we have somebody who's reporting their financials and it's not impacting their DTI to a point where um, you know it it it, it punishes them they're going to their bank and let's just pretend they have 10 loans with that bank. Well, the bank is typically maxed at 10 rental loans with any given banks, usually maxing at 10 rental loans with any given borrower. So they might come with us, come to us with their overflow. If, if, um, if they don't have another banking relationship and they need to close within a certain period of time, you know, we're closing these, these rental loans in three weeks. So if, if we can close these rental loans in three weeks, maybe there's a chance where, you know, you can negotiate a deal with the seller, especially as things are starting to transition to a buyer's market. Yeah, you, know, you can get this property, you know, fifty grand under 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 market right now because you can close in three weeks and advertise as such, and you can you have confidence that you can do that. So, does the one one and a half percent rate matter as much if you're getting? You know, a, a hefty discount on the building, your cash flow looks phenomenal. Probably not. No, it, and then um, that's the type of stuff that you know, it's really starting to change a lot that did not even, was not even a possibility six months ago. There is stuff that's sitting and, you know, sellers, a lot of sellers that really should have sold to somebody like me in the past few years, a lot of times they've put the property on the market and because they've been able to list the property on the market, sell it in 60 days, it's like it made what my company does less important. But that's changing. And you still have a lot of sellers out there that believe that, hey, I can put the property on the MLS, I can get top dollar. But you have a lot of sellers that are that still need to sell in a short window of time, but they just think, hey, the MLS will get it done when it's not getting it done to the way it used to six months ago. That's an opportunity. And I don't, I haven't said this in probably over six or seven years. But there are probably going to start to see some deals here and there back on the multiple listing service if you're patient, if you're targeting specifically. And yeah, being able to close in three weeks or whatever it is, is huge. I mean, <clears throat> you had closed, um, you know, the house that, that my parents bought, you know, really quick. Um, and we always have, you know, good results. And Kathy, actually, Kathy Mahoney, who's listening live, just said that, um, you funded her investor clients' projects, and they've been smooth transactions with Paul so far. Um, so that's good. Um, Brianna asked, does being a 1099 employee affect getting approved for a loan? And how would you like evaluate that in this case? Well, I mean, you kind of alluded to that, but can you just hit on that specifically? Yeah, of course. I mean, 1099 is not, um, it doesn't necessarily impact your approval um, with a private lender for the most part. Um, and I mean, if you're going to a bank, it very well likely could. 
uh, or or will, depending on what's reported. But with with a, a private lending company, we're not necessarily looking at at your 1099 income or your income at all, for that matter, unless it's something where you know, we need that as a credit enhancement, something that's going to make the deal look a lot better if there's lack of experience or what have you. So it just really depends. It, it's all, you know, we'd have to work through those situations as they come up. It is case by case. It's hard for me to give like one firm answer on that because every every situation is different. But in general, no, 1099 income is not necessarily viewed as a, as a, as a negative and it doesn't impact approvals. Yeah, I think like, We've talked a lot about a lot of different solutions, a lot of different types of lending. And I just keep going back to the point where it's like, we could have Paul on here for three straight hours, right? And there's still things to talk about. There's still different scenarios. There's still different lending products. And that's another kind of thing is like, you had mentioned this a few times during the conversation and this will never change. Like lending products change, rates change, um, underwriting changes, and there's so many different pockets of lenders that it's like, it all boils down, it all goes back to the fact that like, you need to get educated on this stuff in order to be successful. And Paul and his team, they're, they're a great resource. There's, they're like one tool in the tool shed that, you know, you should definitely add. But, you know, when it comes to lending, there's, there's many more tools in the tool shed that you need to learn how to use. And if you're a newer investor, again, the best way is just to be plugged into everything that we do. We do these trainings every single Tuesday at 11 a.m. Um, sometimes it's solo, sometimes we bring on a guest, but we're always providing you with value and not just value like, hey, that sounded good, but like things you can actually implement into your business. Um, if you're a real estate agent and you've been a successful agent, you probably know how long it took you to really build up your clientele and start making good money as an agent. It's the same thing with investing. For some reason, a lot of people think that having success as an investor should happen like a lot quicker. But if you think about like how long it might have taken you to build up, you know, your real estate base, it's the same sort of thing. And you're almost guaranteed to get really good results in investing if you commit to learning. And there's a saying, the more you learn, the more you earn. And it's really true. Um, but you've got to make the commitment to learning. And again, if you're not in our private Facebook group, make sure you're in there, make sure you're paying attention at www.agentinvestor.com. So to wrap, Paul, because again, we could just keep keep going on and on and on. Where do you see this going to be the crystal ball question that no one has the perfect answer to? But I am curious, where do, does your company kind of see like the rates now, as I'm recording, this is the end of December 2022. Where does your company kind of see rates and lending in the market going in 2023? I have to say this one more time because that actually is a really good question, and this isn't biased. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, no, I, that's a it's a really challenging question to answer. We're constantly talking about it. We're analyzing data left and right all the time, and you see varying opinions from anyone you talk to really. Yep. As far as interest rates go, um, you know, the Fed, I mean, on schedule, they have two additional rate hikes coming up. They've, they haven't deviated from what their messaging has been the entire time from which they've started to hike rates. Mm -hmm. And th what's their messaging? 
tame inflation, bring it down to 2%. They have not moved off of that message whatsoever. And I think in order for us to, I mean, do I think they'll commit to these two additional rate hikes? Do I think we'll, we will see them completely pause next month or February, whenever, the, I think their next meeting is mid, early February. I don't think they're going to pull back. I think they're going to hike that month. And I think they're going to hike the following month. Now, it might be, we might enter a wait and see moment for a bit of time to where they do want to see what, what these hikes have done to the economy. And if it has officially gotten us to a point where we see trending downward data on inflation. That said, though, there isn't a necessarily a direct correlation from what the Fed's doing to interest rates. Um, so you might see these bond investors pull back and or or jump back into um, the treasury market, and it, it could definitely drive rates down a little bit. And I think I think towards the end of next year we will see rates trickle down a bit, but I don't think we're going to settle anywhere near like three percent. It's probably going to be in the fives, um, which I think is is probably healthy for the market. We've been in a, we've been in a, an accommodation type period where the Fed has helped us. And and everyone, many people have benefited from it. Now we're, they're in a they're in an over tightening, I think, to where they're we're constricting things significantly because they they have this mission. Um, now, as far as lending goes, anytime there's uncertainty, and especially if there's significant amounts of uncertainty, you have capital leaving the market. Mm -hmm. um, when there's a scarcity of capital, there's that leads generally to more expensive money and they tend typically dictate their terms and no longer is it a, is it an environment where you can stick your hand out and the money's in your in your in your in your pocket yeah um, at the terms that you want to want to borrow at so there is there is some level of likelihood that you could see lending guidelines now this isn't a conversation we've had um we're we're taking it month over month, looking closely at data to determine what we're thinking. Um, and, and Massachusetts as a whole is held up pretty darn strong Yeah, in comparison to some other markets across yeah. the country. Um, you know, we monitor our portfolio and exits often against what our underwritten ARVs are, and our ARVs have held very strong across, you know, New England. But, you know, there's a chance that you could see capital in the entire industry be more constrictive. And it's, I'm going to say this because I, I mean it, but I, it's why I think having a partner like Tom and Bill and a resource like that to leverage uh, is incredibly important, especially in a time like we're in right now, because guys like Tom and Bill are going to be around. They're not going anywhere and they're going to continue to operate their business to the high, the fullest capacity of what they can do in, at, at any given time in the market based on market conditions. And they're going to pivot. They're going to do what they can in order to make smart, thoughtful decisions. And, and having a partner like like them in, in your business is incredibly valuable. Um, I know I'm kind of digressing a bit, but I think that's an important thing that I want to kind of drill at home. Um, but, you know, it, it's I don't think I think the Fed has kind of hiked rates too fast. It's historically the fastest like ever. And yeah. I don't think we've had enough time for these rate hikes to work itself through the financial system. It's a 30 trillion dollar machine. So you can't expect results to fall out to happen overnight. I think you will see unemployment trickle up. I think you will see some defaults coming up. Do I think it's going to be anything like 08? Probably not. But you're going to see some bumpiness. And it's it's why having the right resources in your business right now is going to matter most. Yeah, it, it's just so interesting. I mean, this is 
been been really the most interesting time that I've been in real estate since pretty much when I started, when we went through that 07, 08, 9, 10, you know, however you want to block up that that time frame. I do think this is different because of the one main reason is just that everybody has 3% interest rates right now. So what we're seeing on our end is like far fewer sellers selling because who wants to give up a 3% interest rate? So the greater, I know not everybody who's listening is in the greater Boston market, but what we're seeing locally is we've seen buyer demand go way down. And you, in a normal environment, when buyer demand diminishes that much, you would automatically pretty much see prices fall. But the problem that buyers have right now, and I actually literally feel bad for, for people in the greater Boston market trying to buy, the problem that they have is that we haven't overbuilt in Boston because we can't, because we're 250, 300 years old. Um, there's no land to develop here. So it wasn't like we overbuilt. Um, but then more importantly, there's so many people that want to sell their house right now, but then they go and they go, oh, I got to buy something too, or I have to rank something. And it becomes a worse financial decision for them to actually trade, which is keeping inventory still crazy low. We're up, um, I track three counties in Massachusetts, um, Essex, Suffolk, and um, Middlesex, because they're closest to me. And I think as of uh, last week, we were up year over year 19%, which might sound like a lot, but it's actually compared to 2019, we're still way down. And um, I follow, if you guys don't follow Altos Research, that's another person. He does national um, inventory updates every single week, ALTOS Research really good stuff. And he just released one yesterday. And what, what he is seeing right now is that inventory is actually falling faster this time of year than normal, which is not what he expected going back a few months ago when buyer demand kind of shifted down. But what we're seeing is like a lot of sellers are just like, you know what, if I can't sell, I'm just going to stay. I'm just going to stay because I got a 3.25% rate I said that on a Facebook group the other day, everyone has 3% rates and like 10 people jumped right in. I got 2.75, I got 2.5. And it was kind of funny because people like correcting people. Um, but like people have lower than three, some people have lower than 3% rates. So it's just super interesting. But um, with that being said, Paul, for the people who are on here, um, who think that they're good candidates to work with you or your company, what would be the best avenue? Obviously, we don't want everybody to just call you for no reason, but what would be the best avenue? Um, and when would when would somebody be a good candidate to reach out to you and how would they reach out to you? Yeah, I, best avenue is, I mean, uh, email, phone, text. Um, and as far as being a good candidate, um, our, you know, we have a, your, a set of criteria uh, that we we look for, um, and they're financially related. So six eighty plus credit score, um, a, a net worth in excess of two hundred fifty thousand, and that's obviously inclusive of all assets: your retirement accounts, your you know your equity in your primaries or investment properties, et cetera. Uh, are there exceptions there? Yeah, it just depends on the situation, and then. Um, 
as far as track record and then cash on hand, what we like to see in, as far as a new deal goes is your down payment, closing costs, and um, a percentage of the loan post-close to ensure that you can start and push your rehab forward. Um, there isn't really a set dollar amount for that. It's, it's very case by case. Uh, and then just, again, having the right team. You know, you want to ensure that, I mean, it's good to get your lender ahead of time, but in order for a lender to really be comfortable making progress in a relationship with a newer investor, you want to ensure that you have a reputable contractor and someone who's not, you know, if you, and this is the whole thing that Tom probably covers, but if you're shopping for the cheapest, absolute cheapest contractor, absolute cheapest money, absolute cheapest everything, your business probably is not sustainable. Um, you know, you want to ensure that you're getting the best value at the end of the day. And sometimes you have to pay a little bit of a premium for value. Um, and, but in our business, time is everything and time is money. And if, if that extra value say can save you actually thousands of dollars in interest, if you have the right team in place. Okay. So, um, you know, if you're on here and, you know, you, you feel like you would want to work with Paul, with his company, learn more, what's the best email? Best well, email. The best way? Yeah. E email is great. Um, best email is Paul. P-A-U-L at renovofinancial.com. It's R-E-N-O-V-O financial.com. And my cell phone number, I'm happy to put this out there. It's 339-224-2586. And if you are not yet qualified to work with Paul or a lender like Paul, do not get discouraged. It's okay to not be there yet. There are so many other options. I talked about the fact that you could partner with our team if you're in the inner circle, again, if you haven't scheduled the call to talk about what that might look like, go to www.agentinvestorinnercircle.com and we can walk you through that. The biggest thing when it comes to investing, in my opinion, is you got to be out there looking for deals. When you find a great deal, do not let the deal pass you up because you don't think you're ready yet, either because you don't have the money or the construction expertise. You can partner with a company like ours. It doesn't even have to be our company, but don't let a really great deal where there's profit on the table, you know, go by the wayside because you don't feel like you're ready. Maybe you don't have that 680 score yet. Maybe you don't have those amount of reserves yet, but that's where a good partner can kind of come in. So Paul, um, I want to thank you for, for jumping on. I know your time is valuable and, um, you know, uh, we'll be back again next week with another edition of the Agent Investor Podcast. I'm going to be bringing on our CFO next week, Kevin Brown, to talk about getting prepared for the end of the year with your books, with your taxation, with your accounting, uh, with your entities, with making sure you're tracking your numbers, all the stuff that as entrepreneurs, we probably don't like doing, uh, but we know is absolutely necessary. And I talked about the time when I, the first time I ever read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that actually in some ways motivated me to become a CPA. And what Robert Kiyosaki said, it's very true. Accounting is the, the language of business. And you've got to get your accounting right or else guys like Paul, um, banks aren't going to want to work with you. So we're going to talk about getting yourself bankable, taxation and all that good stuff um, next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. And again, thank you, Paul, for hopping on. And I'll, I'll talk to you later. Thanks, Tom. Right. Thanks again for listening to the Agent Investor Podcast. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. 
Every time you share the show and leave a review, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get free weekly education, strategies, and to connect with other agent investors across the country, join our free Facebook group at agentinvestor.com. Again, that's agentinvestor.com.